What a blessing to worship in God's house among God's people and open his word under the illumination of his Holy Spirit. Are you ready for God to teach you something today? Yeah. yeah. This, side, this side sounds pretty strong. Are you ready for God to teach you something today? Okay, good. We are in a series I'm calling uh, Building Back Boulder. We're in Ezra and Nehemiah, books that you may not be quite so familiar with, but they are an amazing moment. You could characterize by these two words, return and build. And so it was at a moment where suddenly God worked in the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and released Uh, The uh, Jews who had been in captivity for a number of years, 50,000 returned a 900-mile trip. It's this huge thing, and we've been studying through that. Uh, And the one task before them was to rebuild. Rebuild Jerusalem, but most importantly, to rebuild the place of worship, to rebuild the temple. And what we've been trying to grab hold of are the principles uh, that would guide us in times of rebuilding. Uh, I think every week since we began this, I talk to someone seriously about the rebuilding that's going on in their lives. They say, Pastor Jeff, I am in a time of rebuilding, and it might be in family, it might be in marriage, it might be with children, it might be with career or job or economics Uh, But people are in a time of rebuilding, and this is uh, a way that we take hold of biblical principles. How do you do that? And so we've been looking and learning about that. As soon as they got back, it was not easy. Uh, We talked about uh, dealing with adversaries. Uh, They had these different adversaries that showed up, the false friends and the discouragers and the fear mongers and the frustrators and the accusers. And at a certain point, everything stopped. They, they just stopped for a while, at least. And then came the prophets. And uh, these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, are amazing. They began to preach to the people, to exhort them. That's a big, fancy Bible word for encourage them. Uh, to get back to work and to begin uh, the rebuilding process once again. Uh, But then there was more opposition. It was government opposition. Figure that, yeah? (laughs) And and so uh, then we last week looked at, uh, there's a point where you got to find your bold. You've just got to be bold. And and really what that comes down to is trusting God more than this stuff that's going on out there. And it means being bold when you know what God wants you to do, and then you do what God wants you to do. That's the bold moment. We talked about how do you find that. Uh, pray and, and then claim your righteousness in Christ. Put your hope in God. Speak your bold and then act out in that bold action. And so they found their bold. And now they uh, began to build again, and they had great encouragement. You remember what happened was uh, the, they were reported to the current king, Darius, and he said, well, let's take a look and see if you even have permission to do this. Oh, yes, we found the building permits. <laughs> and in fact, we, uh, it's so important that I'm going to tell the local governor, now you get out of their way, and you're going to fund their rebuild with tax money. Wow, how would you like that? And if anybody, 
it hinders them in any way, uh, it's going to be really bad for them. They're going to be impaled on a beam from their own house, and their house is going to be torn down. How many of you know? Yeah, that, that would get your attention. So that's where we are, and we begin to see the push, the build that happens. So we're in Ezra 6, uh, beginning verse 13. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building. By decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, but also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Hallelujah. Let's stand and thank God for his word. Hallelujah. God, we, we envision this victorious moment, this incredible push and this finish, this conclusion and the celebrations that went on. And God, we want, we want that. We want to take hold of, of this process of rebuilding and understand it. So teach us and, and speak into our hearts at the point that we have need. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Sometimes it's just plain hard to get going. There we go. 
Sometimes we look and, and the, the path ahead of us is steep and it's difficult and there are a lot of steps and we don't know quite how to get started again and that's really kind of where they were. A complex goal can seem overwhelming, so overwhelming that we get stuck. I always remember that my, my dad, when we were kind of stuck, the boys, and we were just not doing what we were supposed to be doing, uh, he would say, you just have to get after it which I think was sort of a Midwestern way of saying it's time to get her done. <laughs> and, um, and if you don't start, we know that. If you don't start, nothing is going to happen. And they had faced their adversaries. They had found their bold. They, they had seen this change, this movement with the government. But they still had to get going. God had cleared the way, miraculously. The governor and associates did what the king had ordered. Uh, they got out of the way, and they provided what was needed. I think it was a wise choice given the penalty that had been prescribed if they did not get out of the way and be of help. And just look what the Lord had done. I mean, it's an amazing list. He provided freedom and funding to move back from Babylon. Uh, he gave strength to overcome the adversaries. He overruled the local governor, Tatanai. And now he orchestrated a mandate um, that there would be no interference. That's pretty good protection. And he even uh, provided, uh, the Lord had provided funding and materials for the temple through, through the government. And, and then the returned exiles uh, were ready to get going. But they still had to find their build. Now, that's a phrase, it's a little odd, but I, I sometimes phrase things oddly. Hopefully so I'll remember them. Uh, how do I find my build? What am I talking about there? I would say finding your build is taking hold to complete God's plan. And there are moments in life where everything is ready, everything's been provided, but we still have to take hold. The Apostle Paul, I love the way he described it, I take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. It's a mutual thing. We can't just sit back and say, well, God, well, do it. We've got to take hold of what he has taken hold of us for. And so what I want to share with you out of, out of this scripture are five keys to finding your build. And it's in those moments that we need that. And the first is going to sound a little bit odd. The first is take the promotion. You might say, well, when, now wait a minute. I didn't see a promotion in there. Or I haven't, I haven't gotten a letter saying I'm supposed to get a promotion. Uh, but it's right in there, actually. In verse 14, it says, The elders of the Jews built and prospered. Say, those, say that phrase with me. Built and prospered. Through the prophesying, that is the preaching, of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. It was through the word of God that this movement began. And that word, prospered, is a, is a great Hebrew word. It's tzelak. Say that with me. Tzelak. Tzelak means to advance or promote. And the root word means to push forward or break out. And this was a moment when that's exactly what they needed. They needed to be advanced. They needed to be promoted. They needed to be pushed forward. And they needed to break out of whatever was holding them back. The elders and the Jews built and they, they were promoted through what? Through the word, through the prophesying, through the preaching of these prophets. And God pushed them forward in that way. So 
what, were, what was the, the plan here? Well, remember with me, these are the plans that God had set forth. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of our favorites. Let's read it out loud together because I, I just love it. Ready? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's a fabulous promise. And this is right uh, where it comes from at this point in history. They prospered. They found promotion and advanced through hearing the word of God. Sometimes we think, I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing pretty good. Things have been kind of settled. I don't really need to hear the word of God. Yes, you do. For one thing, it strengthens you for the day in which you are not so strong. It, it, will, it will have you prepared and ready for that. But even more, it, it is his plan for prospering, for advancing you, for promoting you. Did you know God wants to promote you? God offers promotion to you. He offers you uh, a forward plan. He offers to break you out. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, I just need a breakthrough. This is what we're talking about. Now, I know sometimes we hear that word prosper or prosperity, and people kind of step back and they say, no, no, wait a minute. Are you talking about prosperity theology? (laughs) You'll you'll hear that sometimes. And that's not at all what I'm talking about. Uh, This is talking about Bible, first of all. This is in your scripture. These are words in your scripture. And this is not name it and claim it, which is what sometimes we hear. Well, if I, just, if I just shout what I want, it'll appear and things like that. This is not it. Really what this is, is I would call it hear it and fear it. And what I mean by that is hear the word and fear it, respect it and reverence it. When you hear what God says, that's our, our promotion. He has so much to say about us. Taking the promotion means knowing who you are according to God's word. We were just singing it, that whole last song. I am chosen. Say that. I am chosen. Do you believe it? Let's say it again. I am chosen. Not forsaken. Let's say that. Not forsaken. I am who you say I am. The world is trying to tell you all kinds of junk about who you are, that you're messed up and you're a failure and you're not so good and you're going to fit, all that kind of stuff. And all of that is lie. Because God's word tells you marvelous things about who you are. And if we will hear that, if we will engage that, if we will immerse ourselves in that, it is our promotion. That's receiving our promotion. Here here are just a few things that the Bible says about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not junk. That's baloney is the nice word for it, okay? That's just wrong. You are a new creation in Christ. You're not the old person. The devil's always telling you, no, you're, you're that old person. You're not really changed. There's nothing really changing. No, you are a new creation in Christ. Look in that direction. You are loved with an everlasting love. Well, God must have quit loving me because things aren't going so good or I did some bad things. No, that's a lie from the pit. You are loved with an what kind of love? Everlasting love. And you are strong, the Bible says. You are complete and you are whole in Christ. And you belong to God. That's just a few. We, if we started studying all the things that God says about you, all the truths that God says about you, we would be here till sometime, I don't know when, sometime tonight probably. We're finally done. It would be a long, long study. 
And so these are just a few, but we need to be regularly immersing ourselves in God's word to know who you are in Christ. And when the lies come, say, no, I know who I am in Christ. Say that with me. I know who I am in Christ. That's taking the promotion. The second thing that is here is to own it and finish it. That, that's taking a hold and, and finding our build. It was the decree of God that brought all this about. Look in, in verse 14 again. They finished their build, their building. How? Well, God decreed it <laughs> by the decree of God. If God decrees it, how many of you know that's a really good thing? So by the decree of God, the God of Israel, and by the decree of these others, Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia, the house was finished on the third day of the month. They knew the exact date. This was a big deal. When they finished, it was all done in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. It was brought to completion. And what's so fascinating is the scripture calls this their building, their build. Well, now, why, why isn't it calling it the temple of God? It's not a temple of God yet. It's going to be the temple of God. Right now, it was their build, and they had ownership in it. And that's really, really important. Because if we don't have some ownership, how many of you know it doesn't go very far? It would have been so easy for people to start saying, I'm kind of tired. I think I'm going to go back home for a while. I'll see you. I'll see you later. Somebody else will need to finish this. Somebody else will take care of this. Somebody else will pay for this. Those are the kinds of things that we can hear all the time. And so the plans that God has for a group or for a people don't, don't get completed, don't get finished. So they had to have some ownership And that was what was going to bring things to completion, and they could not quit. Now, this was going to be the temple of God. It is going to be the temple of God, but it's going to be in just a little bit. We'll get to that. It took about four years, but it was right on time. Now, for me, four years to complete a construction project. How many of you would say, that's a long time? I'd be speaking to the general contractor, yeah. But this was a huge project, and, and it was, you know, they had different kinds of technology. And actually, it was really, really fast. Work resumed uh, in 520, and then it was completed uh, in 515. And it had been a, a little over 70 years after the destruction in 586 B.C. So it was actually right on time. Listen again to the prophecy Jeremiah prophesied uh, in Jeremiah 25, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's right on time to complete the plan of God. There's purpose in all of this. And, and really, four years, I think, was a phenomenal achievement. Later on, uh, it took King Herod Uh, 40 years initially to do a refurbish, and then it it wasn't even completed for 60 years. And and he had immense resources uh, at his disposal. The third principle, the third key, is to refuse the snare of comparison. We heard about this uh, a few weeks ago when Pastor Paul was teaching from the book of Haggai. Haggai and Zechariah go right alongside of this passage, this part of history. And there was disappointment. They, they got things finished, and there were some that were disappointed. Uh, it's in Haggai 2.3. It says, who, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Some of you saw it. 
Some of you saw Solomon's temple, and some of you saw how amazing that was. How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? It just doesn't even compare. Now, we know these were older folks because it had been 70 years, but they were probably children at the time. As little children, they had seen uh, the, the temple of Solomon. Or maybe as teenagers, they have been young people, but now they're, you know, in their 70s and 80s. And they're looking at it and saying, it's just not what it used to be. Just not what it used to be. Those were the glory days. <laughs> we have a tendency to do that, don't we? To, to compare in all different sorts of ways. And it's a dangerous sort of thing. Zerubbabel's temple was smaller than the temple of Solomon. But it actually lasted longer. Uh, it, it, it was smaller, uh, but it was what God had wanted to be built for this time. We have to trust that and know that that is exactly what he has in mind. Mark Twain is known for saying, comparison is the death of joy. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Comparison is the death of joy. When we begin to compare in, in all different ways, it can be comparing to the past. It can be comparing to the past failures. Well, we're not as bad as we used to be. Yeah, that's not a very good measure, is it? Well, things used to be really great in the past. We're not as good as we used to be, and, that, and so we feel defeated. And it can be just looking around. Well, we don't have as big of a place as the people down the road, you know. Uh, first first uh, synagogue of Jerusalem or whatever. Uh, whatever's down the road, some bigger place. We get into these comparison things, and we do it all the time, you know. Do I have as big of a house or as big of a car or as fancy of a a business or whatever? And so we need to be careful about comparison because it can be a deadly sort of thing. God responded to these words of comparison in in the next couple of verses in Haggai 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong. Are you getting the strong thing? Yeah. I mean, if God says it three times, I think it's a good thing to listen. Be strong, all you people of the land. Zerubbabel and, and, and Joshua and the people of the land, declares the Lord. And he says, work, for I am with you. We're just getting started here, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm promoting you here. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Don't be afraid of anything. Don't be afraid of the comparisons. Don't be afraid of, uh, of how good things are going. Don't be afraid of uh, where the next supplies are going to come from. I will remain in your midst. What else do you need? The Apostle Paul said something very similar. He said it this way, Philippians chapter 3. But one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not turning loose of that for which he took hold of me. I'm not letting go. I'm not quitting. And that was the urgency of God. You need to be strong and you need to work. The fourth thing that we see, and it's so important, is dedicate your build to God. This is where we fall down sometimes. 
You know, things go really well. We say, oh, I've got some success here, and now I'm going to kind of do it my own way. No. The dedication of the house of God was this grand event. It was very, very important in verse 16. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles, they celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They had this big celebration. And in these phrases, it's now called house of God. So what a couple verses ago was called their building is now going to become house of God. That's what dedication does. It's a transfer of ownership. I remember back in in, in my previous years that when we had a dedication of a building, it was a big, big deal. When when we completed a building, we would have a consecration. We would say, we're consecrating this this place and this land and these grounds. We're going to consecrate it for the use of God. But then here's what happened. After it's paid for, if you can do it on the same day, it's wonderful. (laughs) But after it's paid for, there's a dedication, and it's a transfer of ownership. And they would call in someone, someone important, like a bishop or someone. We're transferring ownership of this, not to the bishop, but to God. Now, God owns it. No bank owns this. God owns it. And it's a, a big, big moment, a big, big deal, this transfer of ownership. And we see it right here in the Scripture. And a marvelous word is used here for, for this a dedication. It's Hanukkah. Does that sound familiar? It, it's maybe the one uh, Hebrew word that you knew for sure. You knew Shalom. You knew Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It means dedication. They had a Hanukkah celebration. Now, this isn't the Hanukkah that we think of because that comes later, about 100 in, during the period of the Maccabees, a rededication that went on. But this is also a rededication. And it, and it was, you know, 500 years or 400 years before the one that we celebrate. I remember when I was growing up, I wondered, what is Hanukkah? All my Jewish friends get Hanukkah, and it goes longer. And they get more presents. I remember asking my mom, and she said, well, it's kind of like Jewish Christmas. And I said, well, it sounds better. Than, <laughs> you know, it's just really, really good. But, but Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Festival of Lights. And, and what's marvelous is, it, it, listen to the scripture. It says that all the people of Israel, that means that there were people from the northern ten tribes who were there. Israel is the name for the whole thing. Twelve goats were offered representing all of the tribes of Israel. This was a great moment of joy. It was a kind of a moment of reunification. I mean, to say, you know, we've gotten scattered. We're coming back together. We've got to do this together. They celebrated with great joy. And the dedication involves sacrifice and offerings. Dedication involves sacrifice and offerings. We, we don't come to dedicate ourselves without offering something. And so there were offerings going on here. And the organized divisions of the priests were set up for service. And then this marvelous thing happens. They kept the Passover, one right on top of each other. And it's the only time, I think, in history when Hanukkah and Passover were right there next to each other. You won't find that on a calendar today. But on the 14th day of the first month, at the right time, the returned exiles kept the Passover. Uh, That would have been April the 21st of of 515. And, and, you know, if you think about it, they had not sacrificed lambs for the Passover. They had had Passover. They hadn't sacrificed lambs in uh, 70 years. 
that they, that they have been out, that they have been away and they didn't have a place to do it. You can't sacrifice the lambs without having the place to do it. So this was a marvelous celebration. They probably looked around and said, does anybody remember how to do this? Yeah, my grandpa told me. <laughs> and the Levites figured out, you know, how to do all of this. But as I studied this, I, I kept looking at it. I kept thinking about it. And I realized there seems to be something that's missing here. Sometimes when we study scripture, it's the things that are in the scripture that get our attention. But sometimes it's the things that are missing that we don't see there that are really, really important. And the thing that was missing was that there's no mention of the Ark of the Covenant. It's a really important part of the temple. Really important part of worship. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant wasn't there. There's no mention of the most holy place we study that sometimes the, the most holy place and then the holy of holies was that one place that's behind uh, the, the great curtain. And in there once a year, you know, there would be uh, blood sprinkled there. It's usually assumed that the Ark of the Covenant disappeared. They'll often, if you go look it up, they'll say, well, it was lost. It was lost uh, during the Babylonian conquest and, and exile. It's not listed among the temple treasures returned by the order of Cyrus. And, and I don't know. I mean, that really? So, so what is this and why is it important? What is the Ark of the Covenant? And it's a really important thing for us to think about. It's that box that was designed by God uh, and it was built by Moses out of acacia wood. Then it was covered with pure gold. It contained some really important things, the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and a container of manna uh, that was kept from the time in the desert and a budded staff of Aaron. So these three things were sort of powerfully symbolic to the people and they were inside uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, I know Pastor Ann, I love the way she teaches this. She, with the young people, she'll call it the God box, and that's a really good description. But it, it did not contain God, but it was the place where they met God. The mercy seat was the top of it there between the two uh, angels that are, that are on there, the, the images of the angels. And it was an important thing. It was where uh, blood was sprinkled. So... Before the temple's destruction in 586 B.C., the ark stayed within the Holy of Holies. And it was sprinkled with blood on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Someone asked me this week, what do Jewish people do now? Because they don't have that now. And uh, Jewish people spend a time of introspection. They look and they say, have I sinned against my family, my brother? Oh, there's, I, and they, they look inward, kind of like we do during the season of Lent. And they seek forgiveness from people. It's a marvelous time. But they don't have that atonement aspect uh, on Yom Kippur. Well, what happened to the ark? It, it may be the biggest mystery, seriously, in all the history of archaeology. Some say it was lost, but that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. If you were in a group that was responsible with keeping track of the Ark of the Covenant, would you let it get lost? I mean, I don't think so. Say, I don't think so. Yeah. And, and we know that it doesn't seem to have ended up in Babylon. So it's difficult. According to Indiana Jones, it's boxed up in the Library of Congress. By the way, don't look inside that box. <laughs> that could go really bad for you. 
Um, some say that it's held in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church called the Church of Our Lady Mary of Zion in Aksum, Ethiopia. But no one is allowed to see it. That place exists. It is documented. And if you think, well, that's kind of a fable, let me tell you how strong the fable is there. Just last year, just one year ago, uh, some uh, militants uh, in that area tried to uh, capture it, tried to come in and capture it. 800 people died protecting it. You just look it up in the news. It's amazing. So there are those who have sought to protect it over the years in that place. There's, there's one British military researcher, and he was in the military in World War II and then later was an archaeologist, and he claims that he saw it uh, during World War II because he could go in and just go in. He had the power at the time to do that, and he determined that it was a replica in his opinion. It wasn't the real thing. It, was, uh, it had the appearance, but it wasn't the real thing. The truth is no one really knows Uh, But the two strongest possibilities uh, are closer to home in Jerusalem. And uh, and there are are a number of possibilities. There's there's legend that the Knights Templar somehow found it and took it back, and it's in England someplace, but that's not very well attested to. It's possible. But the strongest possibilities are Mount Nebo in Jordan. You might remember that name. Uh, It's the place where Moses looked into the land. He never got to go into the promised land, but he looked in. He was able to see it. And we visit there. We go there. I haven't found anything there, but here's what it says in the book of Maccabees, which is not scripture. It's in the Apocrypha. It says that the prophet Jeremiah acted on instruction from God and hid the ark in the mountain from where Moses saw the promised land. He found a cave. This is prior to the destruction by the, Bamalo- by the Babylonians. And he hid it there and sealed the entrance. And there were some who wanted to mark the entrance. He said, no, it will be revealed at the regathering of the people. That's very interesting because I don't know if you noticed, but the regathering of the people started in 1948. It's been going on for, for more than 60 years or so. The other possibility uh, is actually beneath the Temple Mount itself. There are two prominent rabbis who claim to have seen the place. They don't claim to have seen the ark, but they claim to have seen the place. Uh, And so many believe that it's in a cave beneath the Temple Mount, uh, directly under uh, the place of the Holy of Holies, where that was, uh, prior to the invasion of the Babylonians. Uh, And these are... You know, one was the, uh, the chief rabbi of the IDF, and the other was the rabbi of the Western Wall. They claimed to have seen it. That picture there may be familiar to some of you because it's, uh, that's the tunnel. The, they call it Rabbi's Tunnel uh, that goes along the edge of the, of the Western Wall, way down deep. And some of you have walked through that. Second Corinthians 35 says that, And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Uh, Now serve the Lord your God. Get get it hidden away. And it's interesting because that word for house, baith, may also be translated inner chamber or dungeon or nethermost point. 
So there are many who believe that somewhere in that temp- below that temple mount, there is a cave, there is a chamber, there is a dungeon, there is a cavern in which the Ark of the Covenant is held. It would make sense that they might even have put it there for, for those 500 years from, from the time of the rebuilding up until the destruction in 70 AD and brought it up once a year. Let's just... We don't want to risk it. We'll bring it up once a year and we'll have it for the Day of Atonement or something like that. So, so what did they put in the Holy of Holies? What was there on a regular basis for 500 years at the time of Christ? According to the Mishnah, which is the commentary of the Jewish people uh, while they were in Babylon, they're, they're remembering these things. After the ark was taken away, a stone remained there from the time of the early prophets, and it was called Shatia. Say that with me, Shatia. Or you can say Ha Shatia. Say it that way, Ha Shatia. And it means foundation stone. It's now covered, uh, and that's a picture looking down from above, uh, from within the, the, uh, the Dome of the Rock. It's now covered by the Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock, on the Temple Mount. It's familiar. If you ever go there, you cannot miss it. But that's where it is. It's down below that. Uh, and for 500 years, the holy place, you know, it was furnished with a table and showbread. But this was, this was the place that was most at the center in the Holy of Holies. Uh, it's very difficult to see this place uh, if you are not Muslim. Uh, you're not allowed in there. I've been in there once. I don't even know how I got in there, but someone let me in. And, uh, I, I, but I went in. It's a fascinating, fascinating sight to see. But the Hashatia, it means foundation stone. Tradition considered this to be the capstone of creation. Some even said that God trapped the flood waters of the abyss. So at the end of the flooding, it capped off the floods. But none of that is in Scripture. But it's an amazing thought about this stone and how important it is. I, studied, I was studying this, and it occurred to me, what if the foundation stone, what if that term, hashatia, refers to something else? Isaiah 28 says this, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Sound familiar? Who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus the Messiah. Romans 9 says it this way. Behold, I am am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that's Jesus. If you don't stumble over Jesus, you're going to bow before him. One or the other. A rock of offense. Jesus coming into the world, he offends everything about this world. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. How many of you like that? I do not want to be put to shame. Psalm 118 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. I mean, it's all very much right there. The scripture, New Testament scripture describes Jesus as the foundation, the cornerstone, and the capstone. Uh, The cornerstone is where you begin measuring everything. Everything measures to Jesus. The foundation is what we build on. The capstone is the finishing of it all. He finished it all on Calvary. He finished it in his sacrifice for us. 
So what I want to suggest to you is that the final piece of finding your build, really the most important piece, you know, we've got all of these others to take the promotion, to own it and finish it, uh, to refuse the snare of comparison, uh, to dedicate your building to God, all of those. But the last thing is to set Jesus as your foundation stone in your holy of holies. You say, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have a holy of holies. Yes, you do. It is the place where you surrender. It is the place where you are saved. It is the place where you are, uh, there's a propitiation for your sin by Jesus. It's a place where he covers your sin with his blood. We all have a holy of holies. If we won't let him in, if we won't set him as the foundation stone, if we will not claim him as our hashatia, then we are not saved. <laughs> we, we do not have a, a relationship. We do not have the right to be called children of God even. Jesus is our hashatia. And so finding your build, it calls us to, to claim the foundation stone of Christ. And it, isn't it amazing that in place of the law, the tablets, it would be amazing to find the tablets. Amen? If you find them, please give me a call. I'll help you. (laughs) But in place of the law, we have Jesus who has fulfilled the law. Scripture tells us this is the gospel. And that's more important. It's way more important. But we have to cooperate with that. Jesus had an amazing way of expressing this. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end where he's, he's given this broad, amazing teaching that is a synopsis of, of what it means to be a kingdom person. And at the very end, this is his closing statement uh, in Matthew 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Why don't we read it out loud together? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. How many of you want that kind of, I want that bill. I want to find that bill. But listen to the other, the the rest of the, the very last things that Jesus said. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Who, who just turns aside, dismisses the words of Jesus, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I don't want that. I don't think you do either. So finding your bill has these five things. Receive the promotion. Read the word. Receive what he says about you. Own it and finish it. Refuse the snare of comparison. Don't be comparing to anything. Dedicate your build to God. Dedicate wholly to him. And then set Jesus as your foundation stone, your hashatia in your holy of holies. Let's pray together. It may be that in hearing this word, you've realized there's at least a part of that that you need to take hold of in order to find your build. 
It may be the most fundamental thing of, of receiving Jesus as your Savior. And that really is setting Jesus as your foundation stone in your holy of holies. To say, Lord Jesus, I get it. I need you desperately. Come into me. Save me. Make me the new creation. Share with me all of the things that that the word says about me in you. And I will begin walking in that. It may be that you've just been setting aside some of the things in in negativity that, that, that God has said about you. That he wants to promote you. He wants to...